that money's on the bank and we can't pay the salaries this month. Should we use it? And we came to the conclusion that we probably should. I believe it's something that he's always been doing. If I'm wrong, he's a dick. WeTransfer started in late 2009, and today it has over 45 million active monthly users. It's one of the world's most trusted online brands, helping people to discover and share in every country around the globe. Damien Bradfield, an advertising and marketing specialist who cut his teeth at various agencies, formed Present Plus with his business partner, the Dutch design and media blogger Nelden. What did his parents call him? Ronald. Ronald. Ronald Nelden. Just Nelden. It's Ronald Hands. Ronald Hands, <laughs> as everyone knows, that turns into Nelden. Just Hands. <laughs> yeah. From creating the disarmingly straightforward file transfer service WeTransfer to curating an interactive art installation at Amsterdam's Art Hotel, the duo have since been behind a series of truly forward-thinking projects. Nowadays, the site transfers one billion files every single week, and in 2015, WeTransfer took its first round of investment, a Series A of 25 million dollars, and Damien moved to LA the following year to spearhead the company's US operations. Managing a dual role, heading the American office and leading the brand's marketing, growth, and content departments, Damien personifies WeTransfer's commitment to supporting and showcasing the best creative talent. To this end, he's brought in Giles Peterson and Troy Carter to work with the company and set up content partnerships with the likes of FKA Twigs, Rankin, Samfer, and Nelly Benhayoum, among many others, working on the newer platform of WePresent. Damien has his own newsfeed and has most recently been posting on a varied range of topics, from Star Wars to depression, from Brazilian plane crashes to childhood toys. His interests are blogged about regularly, and he has a passion for creating genuinely human companies, which may explain why they are known as a socially responsible company. Thirty percent of WeTransfer's background wallpaper images have been provided as free publicity to aspiring artists, musicians, and other creative talents, just like. Us ready for a quick fire round? Yes, excellent. University or just getting into work early and carrying on with life? Get into work. And did you go to uni? Yes. So you just regret it? No. Okay. Life's changed. I'm old. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say old. Just older. True. L.A. or London? L.A. or Amsterdam? L.A. Me too. Facebook or Twitter? Twitter. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Okay, you do seem very sprightly this morning. This is 10 a.m. Like, LA, late in the day for you. We're up at 5 a.m. Go to bed at 9. Yep, fair enough. Uh, music or film? Film. You're trapped on a desert island. You can bring three things. Your family is there, sadly. So what else? Oh, they're already there. Sorry. Radio. Cool. Good. Anyway, <laughs> that wasn't quick, was it? <laughs> Jesus. Good. Radio. Oh, I was, expe- was going to say my kids. Radio and yeah. two batteries, shall we say? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, interesting man. Amazing. Got a wide variety <laughs> of uh, fascinating <laughs> interests. A ham radio. Make it a ham radio. A wind up one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so what? Just so, so you got some exercise in. Um, introvert or extrovert or a bit of both. Ambivert. Oh, I've never heard of an ambivert. Take me through that. Do you just eat leaves? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's somewhere between an introvert and an extrovert. Okay. Have you never heard of it? No, I've, I know like introvert there, and extrovert and the other way around. in this booth. Yeah, nice. Rich is literally fact-checking this as yeah, he I'm speaks. So. Oh, it's a real word. Yeah, yeah, I didn't make it up. No, okay, sorry. I'm on air, it's live. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's so live. <laughs> my so fact-check is in my ear as yeah. we speak. <laughs> Most inspirational person in the world to you, don't say your wife. No, I wouldn't. Good. <laughs> sorry, sweetheart. Um, no, can you not no, call I don't me sweetheart one. we've just met? I don't have one. Really? No. Well, no one inspires you? Yeah, plenty of people. You asked me one. I couldn't yeah. name one. 
Cool. We'll say Rankin because he's another guest. So <laughs> there we he? go. Yeah. Oh, he's hilarious. I'll come back. I'll do it with him. That was nice of you to do that about Rankin. He said the same about you. Yeah, really? Um, <laughs> person, <laughs> person you like least on the planet? Oh, my God. Currently Donald Trump. Okay, fine. We'll say Rankin. Um, and person you'd like to meet most? George Soros. That's a good answer. Why would you want to meet him? I think he's an amazing philanthropist. Okay. Just in case there's anyone who's been living under a rock, how would you describe we transfer to someone that never heard of it? I wouldn't bother. Because they just wouldn't be worth your time. Yeah. Yeah, that's very fair. I completely agree. <laughs> and what about for people that have heard it and might need uh, might, might uh, need It's the better? simplest way of getting any large file from A to B. How would you differentiate it from something like Dropbox or any other file transfer company people? Do you get that a lot? I mean, comparisons? All the time. And how do you do it? We have no sign-up. We have a lean data policy. We pioneered this full-screen advertising format everybody loves. We curate every single ad. We give away 30% of our ad impressions to support the arts. We desperately want to be a decent company with offline values online. Dropbox, none of the above. Basically, your legends, they're not. Something like that. Okay, cool. Uh, has it now achieved everything you hoped for? No you know, way. coming full circle to be on board with your current endeavour? No, no. No? No, I think, I mean, this sounds like a massive cliche, but I would say something like every six months we're back at day one. And in a good way, right? We've got new problems or there's new challenges or the team has changed or we've got to change the team or we've got to change the direction or something has evolved and, you know, there's an opportunity that's arisen due to something that we did with somebody or the way that someone has used the service. You don't get the opportunity to sit still. For a lot of people, that's not great. I love it. And this uh, 30% ad impression that you give away, has that been at the heart of the company since day one? Has that been something that you've grown with? No, it's always been. Oh, we actually used to give away 50%. And then you took Series A investment and they were like, there is a condition. (laughs) No, no, no. Our investors have been really good. That was the business, right? That's how it's set up. That's what made it special. It was because we had huge server costs, so we were bootstrapped, right? So our server costs were just astronomical. So we had to reduce the amount that we were giving away. And it actually wasn't really that we actively went, you know what, shit, we're going to reduce it from 50% to 30 It was more that we needed to be more, we needed to curate it better. And to be quite frank, there's only so many hours in the day that you can spend to focus on giving something away or setting up a campaign for someone or someone. And I think now we give away 7 billion impressions. That's about $30 million in media every year. It's a full-time job for you know, someone to just curate it and make sure it looks as good as the rest of the stuff. So I think it was more of that we ran out of time. 50% was just too much effort. Fair enough. So it starts in 2009, but your part of the journey starts in 2010. So can you take us through the early days of WeTransfer? What is that story there? Between 2009 and 10? Yeah, just, you know, the first couple of years. So it started in Amsterdam, as I understand it. We started in Amsterdam. It was originally four people in a little room in this old woman's house, it's ex-opera singer's house on the canals in Amsterdam. No money. Huge ambition, but actually... And always had the same vision? The the purpose really was just that in that market, if you can remember back in 2009, it was Fast and Furious 1 had just come out. So I'm going to try and set the scene as we're in this little radio booth. Jay-Z, Empire State of Mind is playing. You're watching Fast and Furious. The only way to send any files were basically Mega Upload, Rapid Share, and you send it. And Mega Upload and Rapid Share were basically promoting pornography, piracy. That's the only thing that they were in it for, right? And Mega Upload's Kim, Kim.com. The, yeah. the legend Kim.com, yeah. He is kind Unfortunately. of Unfortunately. Yeah, no, he is. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're a paedophile, he's probably a hero. 
But that was the space that, you know, the, the, the sort of file sharing was in and BitTorrent was in that space too, right? If you were a business and you were sending files, you know, to a client, there's no way you can ever use Mega Upload or RapidShare. And you send it, to be quite honest, you know, had that meth, that business tool, which isn't really used anymore by the time. It was throttling normal internet connection speeds, using their service that you pay a premium so you can get shit done faster. We just said, you know, there was no purpose in doing it. You could get pretty good connection speeds. You didn't really have to pay very much for it anymore. <clears throat> we were in the sort of media advertising world. Let's just make something super simple. No sign up because it's for us. Put beautiful images in the background because we hated banner advertising. And just see where it go. Stumble upon, pick the service up. I think within three months we had something like 200,000 users. Stumble upon, I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. Stumble still there, upon is was, yeah. I, is it? You still use StumbleUpon? <laughs> no, no, I don't still use it. I don't still use it, but I loved it. It was so no, good. Was... You know the founder of that sold that and started Uber? Really? Which no one knows. No, no one knows that. No one knows. Oh, you did know that. I did know that, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's crazy. No one knows it apart from you two in this room. And I never, know. You've never talked about it before. Well, I, I actually, I saw him talk at a conference last week. Oh, yeah? And I was like, Jesus Christ. Is, Garrett, is it Garrett Camp? Is that his name? Yeah, Garrett Camp. There we go. But I don't know how involved he was. He says co-founded Uber, but then I think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Even more so than Travis. Garrett, if you're out there... But Travis was the business Come on, way. secret leaders, and then you can tell the real story. Exactly. Cool. Of StumbleUpon. Of StumbleUpon. <laughs> and how StumbleUpon launched WeTransfer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Okay, so go on. So StumbleUpon, which was awesome. I used to love it. So that helped launch you guys. Yep. Basically, 200,000 people discovered WeTransfer. And the beautiful thing back then was that it was something like if one person uploaded a file to WeTransfer and they sent it to three people's email addresses, one of those three would become a user. Something like that. So we didn't have to spend any money on marketing or advertising, just had this beautiful organic growth. Which made you redundant. That's <laughs> your job. And still redundant. Yeah, exactly. But we still had these big images in the background, right? And that's the bit where the majority of the affinity, the majority of like the brand building happens. Because if you think about WeTransfer, it's probably the only site in the entire world where there's only one thing happening on it. So every other news site, every other publisher of scale, you know, will have multiple things in a the typical layout of a website. And WeTransfer just got one thing. And our branding is that little box, that upload box. That's it. So, you know, most people associate WeTransfer with generally somebody else's work. And we're just this enabler that sort of sits in between it. It's a bit of a strange business, to be honest. And it's taken quite... A few years for people to get their head around, you know, what it is that they like about WeTransfer. And it's still, for a, lot, for a lot of people, a complete mystery. I think it's a little bit like, and Rich, you've got this, one of those Google homepages, you know, that you get that generates random, different, beautiful images around the world every day. And that is a really inspiring way to start any journey. And so in a similar way yeah. with WeTransfer, you know, it is inspiring to see something of that high quality that you wouldn't stumble upon otherwise. Right. RIP stumble upon. Um, oh, I actually do think it still exists, Stumbleupon. Yeah, well, Rich is going to fact check anyway whilst we casually move on with our questioning. It's silent typing too, it's like a ninja typer. So, Damien, take us through the first couple of years because this is the stuff that um, our audience find especially interesting, is the reason why we set up the podcast in the first place. No one needs to hear about how amazing everything is, we can do that later. Okay. It must have Terrible. been bloody hard work, horrible. Give us some like, fa- I mean, you're starting a company with, as you alluded to earlier, it must be ridiculous server costs covering everyone else's upload and download fees, basically, right? Because most people do it for free. We bootstrapped it, right? So between 2009 and 2014, we were all holding down multiple jobs, different agencies, different consultancy practices, you know, whatever, basically, to try and pay the rent. 
The hardest thing about WeTransfer is that in Holland, raising money is exceptionally tough. And a seed round in Holland might be 100,000 euros if you're really lucky. If you came from the agency world, or if you'd ever done any sort of big brand consultancy or design work for someone like Nike, you can earn that in a month. You know, put four people on a really good design project. Maybe you're going to have to pay 40 grand in, you know, in fees to those designers or creatives. But you're going to pocket 60,000. So just do a few of those design consultancy jobs and you don't have to give away any equity in the business. So we were always torn a little bit with, you know, well, it'd be great to have these investors on board because that's what everybody else is doing. And everyone's asking you, have you done your series, you know, have you done your angels and you've done your series A and you did a series B? And we sort of got a bit carried away in that hype. And at a certain point, Nalden and Bus were flying off to San Francisco and, you know, talking to VCs and coming back going, yeah, there's loads of people interested. But we'd always come back and say, yeah, but you know, your business is just a bit weird because you don't have a sign-up, so you're not collecting any of that data. Why aren't you doing that? You're just leaving cash all over the table. Why haven't you got banners on the site? You've got this one massive ad format that's basically 16 times the size of a banner for the price of a banner. Why would you just not put 16 banners on the site and you could have 16 times more income? Is it the price of a banner? Yeah. Okay. And we'd be there going, because it looks fucking horrible. Period. Mm. And most VCs wouldn't get it in the slightest. They'd be like, okay, I don't get it at all. These guys are clearly mental because no one's going to really leave that much cash on the table unless there's, unless there's something wrong with them or there's something seriously wrong with the business, you know. So we had all these sort of conversations going on. And it wasn't just with VCs. It was with the ad sales house. We'd go in there and go, look, we've got this massive format, super sexy. We'll build it. We'll make it. This is our credentials. We've done all this work for like you know, Christie's or Nike or whatever else. We can do quite good design work. We'll build it for you. We'll make it interactive. We'll shoot video, whatever it is. We had a video team. When we launched, we had around about four and a half, five percent click-through rate. So it was the price of a banner with the performance that was way beyond anything else anyone's getting. So this is an embarrassing question. Yeah. And Sorry. terrible for your advertising. Have I gone geeky? No, 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 no. Oh, not what? at all. This is perfect. But um, I've never clicked the background I didn't realize Ever. Was, I didn't realize it was a clickable app. But I'm always on which, and I do the other thing that you want me to do. What's that? Which is that uh, I do stay there and look at it because I like it just and tra- I find it quite just therapeutic. Transfixed. I find it quite therapeutic. So oh, yeah? I do actually stay there and do look. Do you wait for it to rotate or do you, yeah. you don't refresh or anything? Oh, I like it. Oh, okay. I know well, it's not, I'm very unusual like that, but, but I've never clicked. If you click next time, I could probably buy a new pair of socks or something. Yeah, exactly. I, I just clicked. What happened? It goes through to International Women's Day. Ah, that's a good place to be. That is. There we go. It's not International Women's Day, though. For the record, everybody out there, you can click on the ads on WeTransfer. Yeah, exactly. Everybody will know now. Yeah. That's true. The internet is away. So, what, but you've got a really high click-through rate. You just said No, we, had, we have a good rate now, yeah. but it was crazy. Yeah. So there was a mental discussion of saying, you know, I don't get it. If we're offering you like, I think it was something like 40 times what Facebook was offering at the time for the price of what Facebook was offering for a little crappy ad. Why would you not use us? Mm. and it all came down to laziness at the end of the day because we had this format that wasn't an IAB format, you know, like the standardised formats that the, the regulators sort of propose, and it wouldn't fit into any of the programmatic ad um, servers. Oh, so no one could sell it for you either? Well, they could. They just had to make an effort. Amsterdam's always talked about as, you know, this sort of second European city when it comes to advertising, creativity and design stuff. There's a few agencies there, but, you know, it's not many the majority of the money in Europe still sits in London. So we were on a plane. I mean, it was generally getting on a plane to come to London 
certainly for me, I was here pretty much every week, if not every other week. And were you guys all in your full-time jobs for a couple of like years, or did you? What was the moment when you actually quit? What and what 2015. was the? Two thousand fifteen. Two thousand fifteen. Yep. Really. There's four of you in your full-time jobs, not actually Well, full-time. so we owned the companies that we were in, right? So they're as full-time as, Fair enough, yeah. as, as you want to make it. Yeah, yeah. There were moments where we really didn't know whether we transfer was going to make it. Mm. You know, it was always scaling and growing, and it had, thought it had you know, tons of potential, but our costs were going up all the time. We were constantly getting hit with this advertising thing. We didn't launch the subscription service that we have until, I think, 2013, something like that. So 50% of our revenue now comes, or more actually, comes from subscriptions and the rest is from advertising. But back then it was purely advertising and it was a tough market. We honestly didn't know whether we could sort of push through it. And again, you know, if you've got a mortgage and you've got, I had kids quite young, so I had two kids. The security of a consultancy job with Christie's and we were working directly with the CEO at the time, you know, it was pretty good. We had a really good design team. And it was quite exciting to be doing the work that we were doing. We transfer was nice, but you know, if the servers were running and we had some ad sales guys in place, there wasn't a huge amount that we could do. We thought, you know, 2014 we broke even. 2015 we raised some money. And at this point, you hadn't raised any money. It all been all done everything. We'd had two sort of fortuitous things that had happened. One of them is the most important thing I think in business period, and the other one was just a little bit of opportunity. So Werner Vogels, who's the CTO of Amazon, is a Dutch guy and very proud of supporting Dutch business. So Werner gave us massive discounts to switch from the, the little server park that we were in in Harlem to Amazon. It wasn't an investment. It was just massive discounts. Looking back on it, it was a pretty good investment with no catches because it gave us scale it gave us completely different uh, way of operating without having to go and fix discs all the time that were breaking that was huge right i totally undervalued it at the time but that was a huge thing that they they helped us with at that time how much were you spending on infrastructure and server costs as a percentage perhaps no i think we were in the hundreds of thousands at that moment per month the second thing that happened was one of the advertisers that advertised with us paid us twice and then forgot about it for a year. Oh, wow. So we, we had this little bit of fat that we could sit on um, for then a you knew bit. they were going to ask for it back at some point, but you're like, when they do, let's We had this big way. discussion. We were like, that money's on the bank and we can't pay the salaries this month. Should we use it? And we came to the conclusion that we probably should. We'd write them a letter. That would take a bit of time to get there. We'd tell them that they paid us twice. And then we delay it as much as we could, but we give it back to them within 60 or 90 days. But we, so we sort of you know, got this 90-day loan as far as we saw it. Their team wasn't very responsive. So it took more than a year oh for them to even respond and ask the money back. So good. And that, I mean, and that brand was called? <laughs> Stumble Upon. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who it was. but um, I don't believe that for a second. No, you shouldn't believe everything you hear on the radio. <laughs> what load of crap. I can't believe the name of the company that paid you twice. <laughs> The one thing that, out of those two things, right, people, I think, is the most important thing. Werner has supported massively so many little Dutch startups and not so little Dutch startups. And it's that human relationship that I think in tech is super important that people spend way too much time behind the screen believing that they can do these sort of relationship stuff via email and Skype and all the rest of it. I just 
fundamentally don't believe that you can. You've got to get off your ass. You've got to go and meet people. You've got to really be prepared to take time too to get to know people and, you know, not believe that you can just do these transactions and actually build up a relationship where someone's going to really support you later. If you'd asked Werner now, I'm pretty sure he'd have said back in 2011 or whenever it was that we switched, he didn't really think WeTransfer was going to go anywhere because it was this sort of UX design-driven business that was just a bit of a freak compared to everybody else. Today, I think he'd say something very different. We're a pretty good customer of of Amazon, and we've clearly driven it to be a, a good, sustainable, healthy business. But it's that relationship that I think is is the most important thing in everything that we do. Every single creative project that we do, every single piece of marketing, all the stuff that we're doing with our advertisers, the, most of our best relationships are maybe four years, something like that, where we've just continuously worked with them to try to improve the creative or in, improve the performance or just to say, you know what, you should take a break. We need to see basically what's not happening when you're advertising with us and when you're not, so we can tell the difference. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, fine. So it's 2015. Yeah. Um, you've just broken even, but then you've had to give the money back. So <laughs> you're back in trouble. You're going out presumably to raise money. So what's your pitch and how much are you raising and why? What's your like whole thing in 2015? And where are you going to raise it as well? America, the UK? Yes, yes. So all of the above. We were everywhere, basically. But, I mean, wherever the money was, but basically not in Holland. Because right, yeah. in, in Holland, it's just very, very tough to do it. And the terms are tough. 
the outlook is different. So, the, you know, in America, it's all about huge risk and, you know, about, you know, ridiculous ambition and everything else. In Holland, it's not. It's very grounded. It's very much about, you know, well, I'll give you a little bit of money, but I do expect to see, you know, a little bit of return within this sort of time frame. And that's pretty difficult within the tech industry to, to actually deliver against the expectations that I think a few of the investors have. Not everybody, but a few of them, for sure. So, yeah, we were looking everywhere, basically, for help. And our pitch was a little bit different, too, because we were a tech startup that was in advertising and media that wasn't conforming and we were giving away 30% of our inventory. Our pitch was always 30 minutes long. People always would say, oh yeah, I know WeTransfer. I sat next to someone the other day and he says to me, I was at this conference, so you have a badge on, he goes, oh yeah, I fucking love WeTransfer. And I said, oh yeah, no, that's nice. And he said, yeah, but I mean, how do you deal with all that regulation? You mean GDPR and stuff? And he goes, no, the financial regulation. I don't have to. He goes, well, you studied at London School of Economics. Yeah, but I think you're mixing things up. And he said, the money transfer company. No, transfer-wise. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not us. <laughs> it could be. Good idea. Genius. Yeah. But no, we're a file-sharing business. Well, it's difficult anyway, for people. People have this perception of what we transfer is. For oh, one, I for you one guys, the tattoo transfer guys. Yeah. Is that not and you? That as well. Okay, yeah, good. Tatley. <laughs> There's people that think they know we transfer and then it's something completely different, like a financial business. And then there's people that go, yeah, yeah, I use it all the time. And they genuinely do use it all the time. Yeah. They just don't think about it. It's sort of just working in the background. On the one hand, so Bill Gates said that the one thing he wanted to be or wanted to have was the sort of plumbing of the internet to just be ingrained, embedded in the internet because then it's, it's difficult to break it out. We would like to be that too, but it would also be nice to make sure that people actually see some of the effort that we're making because a lot of it appears effortless, but it's a huge amount of effort to actually not have a sign-up, to actually you know, not have banner ads on the site, to give away 30%, to have a curatorial team, an editorial team that's basically you know, writing and producing and filming everything that pretty much goes onto the site. It's a labour of love. It's not easy to do that at all. And it's not easy to talk to the financial markets about that type of business because... To some degree, certainly back in 2015, a lot of those VCs go, ah, right, bit of a sort of charity case. Put them in the philanthropy box. Perhaps there's something that we could do. We'll chuck you a bone every now and again, but it's not a real business. That's something that we've always been pushing up against and sort of fighting with. Still to this day, we're still doing it because we don't conform to the sort of the normal rules. But I love that part. I mean, that... If you get me excited about it, then I can pitch this all day long because it's like, you know, I'm going to try and blow all of your expectations about what you think the internet needs to be. And I'm going to try and tell you a story around what we believe the future of the internet is going to be. And back in 2015, to be quite honest, most people said no to us. Most people were just offering ridiculous terms that was, we were never going to accept. Highland Capital was pretty much the only company that went, I get this. And we had one sort of advisor that was in between, this young guy called Mike Kim. And Mike was a bit of a sort of saving grace in that he believed in what we were doing and was able to translate it a bit better than we could into perhaps financial language. Mm -hmm. And then go out and, and actually go, yep, it's true. What you're going to think is this, but don't. Have a look at that. And then you're going to think of this. And then when you think of, look at the business and you see that it's profitable and they've only got 28 people or something like that, so the overhead's pretty low, and they've got a 40% EBITDA, this is a pretty interesting business. Mm. Um, but it took someone to sort of do that financial translation for us to make it uh, get the story across. But a $25 million Series A is a huge Series A for a European company. 
I mean, I appreciate that you've been doing it by that point for six years, got into profitability, have low overheads. I mean, you have all the right ingredients. It's still a huge amount to choose to want to raise at Series A. And I guess the question I've got for you is knowing what you know about the point where you started and how hard it was to get to 2015 to raise that amount of money. Mm -hmm. How did you guys have the conversation about what the right amount to raise was and where that would position the company in terms of a growth path and where you'd need to get to um, to deliver it? Because from a VC point of view, you don't give someone a Series A really unless you're hoping they want to raise a Series B. So then you have quite a clear path on how fast you have to get somewhere. And I presume that's what led you to move to LA, etc. So can you take us a little bit through the decision there and what your milestones were and how it made you all feel? Because it's such a different, you're no longer four guys running consultancies and ad agencies, right? You now have some real serious commitment between A and B with that much money in the bank. Have I just made you realize what you've done? <laughs> yeah. The can look we, on your can face. We, can yeah. we stop yeah, it there? The look on your face. Was it like, bad? I'm not so it's, sure. It's a shame that this is uh, audio only. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> was that he's a bad just, look? Yeah. Damien's turned up quite tanned from LA and he's literally gone grey. So I apologize no, for oh, pointing out the obvious. I don't like talking about money that much. No, it's, but no, it's not about valuation or money. It's about that is a huge amount of money to raise at an A, which means that so it didn't feel like the expectation will be huge for Series B. That's so all. that's what I mean. Maybe my look was it, perhaps you were raising a point that I hadn't really thought about because it didn't feel like a lot of money. To be honest, I thought we could raise a lot more, and I thought we always had this ambition for the business that it was going to be huge. We just didn't have a clue how to really get there. And when I said at the beginning, you know, it's cliche, but it feels like it's day one all the time. It feels like we're you know we're sort of reinventing stuff. Probably every three to six months, we seem to have these milestones and you go, oh, wow, shit, actually, I was looking at this sort of business, but actually it could be that. And, you know, as the company's developed and as the brand has developed, we keep looking at it differently and saying, well, actually now, you know, we have a net promoter score of like 82% for a tech-only company with no retail element or anything. It's pretty impressive. Mm. So like the brand equity that we have and the sort of the permission that we have with the name we transfer is huge. What could we do? Could we go completely down the other end of the spectrum and, you know, work on cleaning up the internet from the minute that you get online so that you're ad-free, clutter-free? Could we actually take on, you know, the delivery of finished goods once they've gone through all the different stages that we transfer to, like, FedEx? We possibly could, right, given the sort of kudos that we have within the design and the, and the media field. So I think our expectations are also constantly adjusting. I'm also incredibly impatient and if we've been talking about a $25 million deal for more than two weeks, it's like old news. Okay, great. And we've done that. So what's the next deal then? Or what are we going to do, you know, two years from now? And I'm not very good at perhaps sitting still and going, oh, that was quite legit. Actually, if my wife would hear this, she'd go, oh, yeah, fucking dick. He's always like that. Yeah. It can't actually enjoy the moment. And he's always thinking about the next moment. We travel a lot around in the US and... Um, I always get quite stressed getting in the car and going on like a long car journey that we've got all the stuff, you know, and we know where we're going and all that. And my wife would always say, you just got to make sure that you, the, the journey is also part of it. And I'd be like, no, we just want to get there. Just get there, get the stuff out, you know, let's set up, let's make sure we're there. And if you're going on like an 18 hour road trip, you can't really go in with that sort of mentality. You've got to enjoy that journey. And that's the same in this is that, and I'm not good at it. But um, trying to get better at going, that was a good moment, guys. Okay, let's take a moment to celebrate. And um, certainly in the past, I was terrible at that. Just uh, 
jumping into the next thing and going, yeah, brilliant. You might be celebrating now, but we've got to make sure that we get to the next point before we can really celebrate and then never celebrating. Yeah, so you've raised $25 million. So what have you actually spent all that money on in the last few years? <laughs> Lamborghini, Aventador, Hurricane, and a couple of Learjets. <laughs> Why not three Learjets? Oh, they're pricey, I guess. They are. Okay. Yeah, we we probably only get two for what we raised. Fair enough. But that's why we go back to you know why I wasn't that impressed. Twenty five million. <laughs> and what about what about a ridiculous salary for yourselves and the co-founders so that you can all become really philanthropic investors to everyone else? You know, if there's one thing that's going to really wind me up is that sort of thinking. Go on, why? Because it's so American, right? I mean, the concept in America is. I'm going to basically rape and pillage as much as I possibly can and build up an empire like the Getty Empire or Walmart by screwing everybody that's a local retailer or screwing everybody that's basically in a market where they're completely unaware of what actually is happening, take as much as I possibly can for myself, fill my pockets as much as I possibly can, and then at a certain point go, oh, I should probably do some giving back now. And there's a tax break. Great. I'm going to be a philanthropist. And everybody turns around and goes, he's an amazing philanthropist. He's been giving away like 100000 a month to the arts. And over the years, he's given $10.2 million to support legless children in Africa. But what about the damage that they caused to get there? Isn't there a way of actually just doing good business and making sure that you help people along the way? I don't I believe... guess for yours, you're doing the 30%. Yeah, we try really hard, go. right, to build it into the business. And... I just think it must be a pretty shallow and lonely life if that's what you've got to spend the majority of your life doing. In the quickfire round, you said one of the people who most inspired you was George Soros yeah. because of his philanthropy. And you said because he's such a good philanthropist. What makes him a good one versus... Well, because others would say that, OK, he did a lot of damage when he shorted the pound and everything else like that. Where is that contrast for you? I think it's ingrained in George. So I think because he came as a Hungarian refugee... Perhaps I'm wrong in this, right? But my impression from what I've read about him and the books that I've read on him is that as long as he's had money and he's been willing and able, he's been giving back to Hungary, to Eastern Europe, to support education, schooling in general, hospitals, kids. And I believe it's always been something that he's done. It wasn't something that he started doing, you know, when he'd reached wealth of 1.2 billion or something. I believe it's something that he's always been doing. If I'm wrong, he's a dick. Mm. Are you if so, I'm right? Well, this is an interesting, uh, appropriate moment. So, uh, the t shirt I'm wearing, are you familiar with these guys, Founders Pledge? Yeah. Have they got to you yet? I don't think so. Oh, I'm going to, I'll do an intro and make sure that oh, they thanks. get to you. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it does make a lot of sense. So, Founders Pledge um, is something that me and most of my friends have signed, which is you sign up in advance for whilst your company's going, that as and when you exit, you'll donate, I think it's a minimum of 3% of your exit earnings. Everything makes so much sense, right? You get to either pick your own charity or they recommend ones that they've done all the DD on and this is why and this, you know, are you interested in education? Let us help you invest your earnings into education properly. These are the ones and these are why. Mm -hmm. Unless you come to them with a very specific, this is what I want to put my money towards. But you basically sign the pledge in advance and then they handle everything for you on exit as well. So they make sure that it goes to the right people in the right way from your pocket. So pretty smart. Was that an ad? Is that pay for ad? Yeah. No, I couldn't possibly. I'll follow up with an invoice. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
So anyway, we've come uh, a little off topic. So yeah, Sorry. you're taking a massive salary right now. Move to huge. LA, living in a Tony Stark mansion. Yeah. Where else are you able to piss away this incredible investment? I can spend money really easily. <laughs> Food, holidays. Pratt. <laughs> Another ad. Send an invoice. Yeah, Pratt's quite good value, I have to say. It is. What is your current strategic plan? You're moving towards the Series B at some point. Is there one in the plans? Is it necessary at the moment? I mean, we're at a moment where we're trying to figure out more you know, what we're moving towards in terms of raising money. More than that, just where we're moving towards in terms of the company and the brand. You know, the exciting part of this journey right now is, more importantly, you know, what do we want to get out of it? Because we transferred, as we alluded to earlier on, is, you know, it's sort of synonymous just with one thing. People go, oh, yeah, I know we transfer. I use it just this morning. Send money said, to my friends. In <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's he's dead to me, that guy. <laughs> they used it this morning, you know, just to transfer a file and, and that's it. But we have this iOS app, which is a different experience. And it's about collecting and collating stuff. We have We Present, which is a blog platform publishing arm. Um, that's really this inspiration arm. If you put that those things together, right, We Present is the beginning of the journey where we try to inspire. So we've done work with Ryan McGinley and Bjork and Kamazi, and we've made pieces on gun reform and net neutrality and stuff. And that's where we think in the creative world, people can come in and they can be inspired by something. And they, it's pretty well produced. It's nice, long-form copy. It's good content anyway so people come in there ideally they're stimulated to go away and make something of their own they ideally would use the ios app and that's like a tool just for collecting and collating rich media you can put in spotify playlists and youtube and all the rest of it you would then send that to somebody in sort of workflow perhaps they're working in final cut or they're working in I don't know, adobe creative suite or something or other and they go and produce something and it's exported through we transfer and then the process continues or reloops whatever else so we're beginning to sort of have these, you know, beginning and entry points to the creative process and then trying to figure out where else can we plug in, given the values that we have, which is, you know, sort of all about simplicity and UX and design. What else could we plug in where we could um, simplify some of the creative process? So that's the bit that we're exploring right now. Is that in music? Is it in design? Is it in film? We're pretty good at design, music, art. We're not that experienced in film. We don't have anybody on the team that's really managing film relationships. Maybe that's the bit that we go down. And if we do... And if you're listening and have some good film relationships, then Damien is open to taking them. True. You know, if we do go down that route, what will we need in order to do it? Can we do it ourselves? How much does the team need to change? Where have they got to be? LA is unbelievably expensive. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than San Francisco. I mean, we, when we said that I wanted, wanted to move out to the States, it was a choice of either... You could be in San Francisco because it's like where everybody is for tech. You could be in New York because it's where the media center is. But we deliberately chose LA because I think it's just different from everything else. And San Francisco is so expensive. It's so generic, in my opinion. It's, it's a vacuum of conversations around how much money you're going to raise. And I really don't want to spend my time talking about raising money. New York is cool, but it feels like it's not done, but it's established. And LA is raw. It's, you know, nearly all single-story dwellings. It's physically a city that has got so much space to grow that it can only really grow. And you can begin to see, you know, sprinklings of companies falling down from San Francisco because they, they're missing something or it's too expensive or whatever else. And Netflix, Hulu, HBO, all those guys basically moved into Culver City. I think I read, this could be a bullshit stat, you might have to fact-check this, 
But something like $10.2 billion is being commissioned in film over the next year alone from Amazon Prime, um, Facebook, Apple. Yeah, I mean, it's a ridiculous it right. amount yeah. of money. Mm. Yeah. And I've got a better stat for you. Go for it. 14% of LA is car parks. <laughs> That's a good stat. It's great. Yeah. It is great. I mean, I'm a There's massive one... LA fanboy for the same reasons as you. I think it's a super raw, interesting, amazing place. But then I do my research on it just out of curiosity and found that one this week from uh, Anderson Horowitz. Uh, 14% presentation. of just, just land. 14% of land in LA is car parks, which yeah. is hysterical. No, I can believe it. I mean, public transport is terrible. Mm. Yeah. There's one train line. There's another one coming. I think it's 2020. But still, you know, it's, that's terrible. That's a big you know drawback for the city mm. somebody should invent like an app where you don't need a car and you can just like we don't need it because elon's going to build a massive tunnel under la and yeah. and in order to do that he's decided that he's going to build flamethrowers of course and in california the one thing you need in a drought-ridden state is a fucking flamethrower yeah, yeah big time i mean those forests will love it you should definitely take them to yosemite I think California right? is desperate, desperately yeah. crying out for another uh, bushfire. For sure. Can yeah. I ask a, a question about the product? Mm-hmm. Back on WeTransfer. <laughs> I thought we'd stick on flamethrowers for a bit. <laughs> Obviously quite a bit, big part of your proposition is transferring big files, but... Oh, he has been listening. I have been listening. Yeah. Oh, no, I should Google this. <laughs> Fact check. <with> but, uh, <laughs> I but, thought it was but, a money, but, fly, but, money but, transfer but service. Quite a big part of that is actually the end user's connectivity. Yeah, and I, you might not be at all. How much are you looking at? And this is very Silicon Valley in the HBO series, compression and things like that. Is that something that has actually has been looked at at all, or are you working yeah. on? No, we looked at it. It's something that. So there might be a space for us in the future. It's a complicated thing to do really well, right? And you say that Pied Piper seem to have nailed it. That's true, or have they? Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> No, but they're a company. A media silo is a company that's a specialist in exactly that for the film industry. It's a very expensive tool, product, service to offer. And what we've also found is, if you're going to start doing that sort of offering that sort of service, it's probably got to be a premium service. The guys that are most going to benefit from it are the guys that are going to be heavy users. You're getting into the studios, and the studios are procurement hell. So the levels of security and privacy and everything that they're looking for are driven by you know fear of the leakage of a massive movie the sony example is a couple of years old now and it's just not the best space for us to play in there are other companies doing that really well we're really good at keeping things simple we're really good at offering a great simple service to the guy on the street who just shot 20 photos and he's got them on his desktop and someone someone who's just made a keynote and it's 300 meg or somebody who's making film but they're not making it for sony they're making it for the festivals or you know we partner with sort of kickstarter like company called seed and spark it's, it's bigger than kickstarter in terms of movies and you know we're actively working with those sort of guys who love we transfer who use it all the time it's not for everybody else going back to you rather than we transfer. So take us back to uh, understanding. Your childhood. Yeah, no, Go don't deep. do that. No, take can, the elevator down. I can tell that that's going to be uh, you know, <laughs> dark. Uh, really dark yeah, and just not, not really necessary for someone that has now moved to LA. You probably do that every single week. It's so, true. Take the elevator down. Yeah. Tell me what you see. Guys, <laughs> um, anything, it's dark. Yeah, it's dark and we're in a soundproof room. <laughs> no. It's uh, true. In, in LA, everybody has a therapist. I, I, mean, think, that's, that's cli- I think that's actually really that's healthy. Cliche. No, I agree. About to say everybody has a podcast studio. But, yeah, 
and that. not like this one. And no, that. Not this one, baby. <laughs> you mean a nice one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so you've moved to LA. Your role is president, Mr. President. Sorry, we should have yeah. referred to you as Mr. President earlier than this. My Slack channel is POTUS. <laughs> Is it actually? <laughs> no. Oh, that would be great, though. <laughs> um, it it was, but only me and Nelson were on it. <laughs> okay, so take me through um, what you're like as a boss. What do you think you're like as a boss? How do people describe you? So it's funny that you asked me this, right? Because um, That's hilarious. We can all agree. It is hilarious that you asked me. Sorry, not funny. But I recently did a survey amongst my family, friends, and co-workers to answer exactly this, because... Um, what I wanted to put together was some sort of book that I would give to people so that they knew what they're dealing with. Because, I have to be honest again, that if you're British and you're living and working in Holland or you're living and working in the US and you've come from, and I came from a quite, not a hugely traditional family, but a relatively traditional family, being massively open and transparent and vulnerable is not, not necessarily something that you do naturally. So I think criticism I've had throughout my entire working life has always been... We, it's, you're hard to read, you know, you're not that open. At the worst end of the spectrum, you're a fucking iceberg. At the best end of the spectrum, is like, oh, if you've had a couple of drinks, you're actually quite funny and quite decent guy. But that spectrum is huge, right? That's why you asked me, is it introvert, extrovert? And I said ambivert, because it's sometimes massively extrovert and I'm very comfortable, you know, talking in front of a lot of people. Other times I fucking hate it and I would just want to curl up in a little corner and be left alone and ideally have an internet connection, but just sort of be on my own. And that's pretty hard for people to work with. So I think, you know, the more I can be open about, I might respond like this, but generally you should just know if I'm responding like that, it's just because I'm having a shit day and I'm not very, I don't want to get into a deep conversation about something else. If I don't get back to you within a certain time frame, it's not because I'm not interested. I will get back to every single email that's sent to me. You might just have to wait 48 hours or something like that. But I think it is super important that, and that's something I definitely learned from my wife, who's Dutch and very black and white, and then being in LA is that communication is one thing and every company goes, yeah, we've got a bit of a communication issue. Every company has a communication issue. Um, but there's no such thing as over-communicating within the business. And, and again, I'm not good at it, but trying to make sure that talking and sharing as much as you possibly can and not thinking that, you know, this isn't relevant. Because if you're putting that filter on what's relevant you're not allowing the person you know, in the room or the people you're working with to actually have the choice as to whether or not they're going to take part in that conversation. And most of the time they want to and actually want to help. What do you think you're like when you walk into a meeting room with like 10 people? What's your, what's your style? How's that evolved? <laughs> you should ask Gail that. So Gail once described me as, um, what's his name, Richard from Silicon Valley. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't think that was a compliment, was it? No. No. You say that, he's a very talented engineer. True. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how she described me, because I met Gail in the south of France. I think she wrote something like, because this is in my document, you know, what do you, and it's something like, um, he was standing there awkward in the corner. Once you get to know him, he's quite an entertaining guy, but first impressions, he looks a little bit uncomfortable and awkward. Something like that. I thought, yeah, it's probably true. It's probably often how it is. If it's, I'm not someone who, you know, walks into a room and imposes myself, as I would view it, right, imposes myself on, on everybody else. It would be, I would like to assess the room, you know, work out, you know, who's there, how it feels and everything else, and then see if I can make some connections. But I'd much rather have a one-on-one conversation than a conversation with 10 people. What is the destination? Well, firstly, how old are you? 
41. 41. And have you found this is your purpose, your true calling in life? Have you got to that moment with your therapy, obviously, in LA where you've... you've you joke, found but it's that, true. Yeah, you found that icky guy in life. Yeah, and now Don, you, his name is Don Grant. There we go. Hi, I can love you, Don. Yeah, big up, Don. Um, so have you found that moment where you're like, this is my purpose and now I know where I need to get to? Would you still, you're still a bit confused? I'll always remain confused. Doubt's a massive thing that sort of, you know, we reproduced these three books a couple of years back, Doubt, Time and Magic. Who's we? We transferred Yeah. Can we have a copy? You may. Yeah, or you can buy one. No, they're not for sale. Fuck. I'll give it to you. <laughs> magic is something, you know, everyone's sort of looking for in the creative process, right? Or anything you're doing, you just want, you can remember those moments of magic. Time is the thing that you never have enough of. But doubt is the thing that, for me personally, gets in the way all the time. You know, I never believe anything that I've done is really good enough. Don't think that any moments where I go, you know, yeah, that was perfect. Wouldn't change that for the world. Maybe a couple, but not many, and really could count them on one hand. So, you know, going forwards, I don't think I'll ever be at a point where I go, I'm good, you know, I'm done. And I wish I could be there, because I think it's a much healthier place to be that you can say, I'm comfortable, you know, I earned 100,000, I'm all good, don't need any more than that, and, you know, let's just enjoy life. It's not about money, it's about the challenge of doing something else, or, you know, could you take that a little bit further, could you... You know, okay, right, you've done tech or you've done something else. What would be the next thing? And what I do really love about where we are as a business right now is that in 2009 to 2015, we were these sort of freaks of nature that weren't doing the normal things that conformed with tech companies, right? We hadn't raised the money in the way that it was supposed to be raised. We weren't doing advertising, we were giving stuff away, all that sort of stuff. When I moved to America... We literally moved when Donald Trump came into power. And my daughter came into the bedroom. One POTUS to another. Yes. And she said, Dad, I've just watched the news. Donald Trump's in power. Doesn't mean we've got to leave the country. We're immigrants, aren't we? I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? We came from this beautiful village of Amsterdam, which, you know, is stable and the economy is good and everything sort of works and schooling is great and everything else. To this, what have I done? And I didn't think there was going to be much positivity coming out of, out of the White House. If I fast forward to where we are right now, Donald Trump has fast forwarded so many of the issues that I think were strangling and suffocating technology around data and privacy and fake news and the internet that was predominantly driven by social media. And I actually think that his ability to polarise online and really use social media as social polarisation engines has put us in a place where actually as a business, we're on the right side of the line, right? The fact that we had a lean data policy, the fact that we never retargeted, the fact that we you know, were giving away to, um, ads to support, all those things that we were doing just sort of intrinsically now seem to make total sense to everybody. And then throw on top of it Kanye West's rant and what Elon is doing with flamethrowers and all this sort of stuff that seems to make no sense. And I'm sitting there going, wow, all these things that we were doing just now make sense. I can now go and talk to everybody and they go, oh yeah, wow. So you don't really Kanye West of transfers. No, we're the Donald Glover of transfers because Donald Glover is the guy who who came in and went. You know what, Kanye, shut up. Yeah, and he did. Mm. And I think um, the next bit for me is this journey. And okay, how how now are we going to make sure that the internet is a place where people really enjoy spending time? You know, like it used to be. How are we going to get this to a place and get companies to think about how they're going to really, you know, respect people and look after them online and not data rape them, but, you know, take their data and use it for good 
and be transparent about it. Mm. And there are some amazing organizations doing it. We were with Martha Lane Fox this week. You know, what Martha's doing is, is fantastic around the education of technology and those, and those internet businesses and the internet for government. But there are not many for-profit tech companies that are really thinking about it, working with it and doing something with it. And certainly the big four, perhaps with the exception of Apple, aren't. And that's the exciting bit for me is I think we can do something massive here. And we are at a scale where we can really make change. Mm. People will see visibly what it is that we're standing for. And we've done it to some degree with gun reform in the US and around net neutrality in the US. Who knows what else we could do? And we, if we can play a part in, in that change, I think that's super exciting. Awesome. Thank you very much, Damon. It's been a pleasure. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you've been able to stay present and enjoy the moment. I've enjoyed the moment a lot. Thanks. <laughs> Next week on Secret Leaders. Starling is all about doing something really, really different for consumers and small businesses. We're all about being a new sort of relationship with your bank. We hope we're actually building a bank that you're proud to be associated with. That was Anne Bowden of Starling Bank. It's not every day you raise a £45 million seed round, but Anne isn't your everyday kind of founder, as you'll find out. She's looking to disrupt the banking industry by modernising it after a career in the financial sector that you maybe only dream of. And she loves banking. She literally loves banking so much, she might even make you like it too. So tune in or you'll miss out. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was brought to you by your host, that's me, Dan Murray-Serta, producer, Rich Martell, edited by Harry Morton of Lower Street Media, and if you've heard this, it'll probably have something to do with Jennifer Osman in Canada. You'll also notice throughout this series, we've got some beautiful illustrations made for every episode, and that's all thanks to Christina Naru of smartupvisuals.com. You can check out show notes, transcripts, and our upcoming Secret Leaders live events on secretleaders.com. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe on whatever media player you use. Just follow us at Secret Leaders on Instagram or at Secret Leaders One on Twitter. And tell just one friend about how freaking awesome this episode is. If you want to go the extra mile, I'm at Dan Murray Serta on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'd love to see you take some screenshots of the episode you're listening to and share it across your social media. It'll bring a tear to our eye and joy to our hearts. See you next week. Tune in or you'll miss out.